are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit organization Win Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global product lead at Win by Night and product manager by day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the last win-win episode of 2021. It has been such a fulfilling year of partnerships, guests, and discussions around innovation, gender, and the career trajectories that typically are non-linear and ever-evolving. For those of you who celebrate Christmas, I hope that you had a great Christmas weekend as we wrap up the year, and I wish you all an enriching 2022. On today's episode, we have an amazing guest, Renan Gutman, who is the Executive Vice President of Product at Kaltura. Kaltura is a video-focused technology company that went public this year and works with pretty much every tech company you can think of, helping them power their video capabilities and coming up with new video capabilities that they perhaps didn't even think of. Of course, the last two years have been so, so pivotal when it comes to video in our education systems, as well as our jobs and connecting with others and our families, but also the way that companies connect with their customers and other stakeholders. Renan is a very seasoned innovation product professional. She has tenure at Microsoft. She got her MBA at MIT. And she has been with Kultura for seven years, overseeing the very complex and robust matrix of products that touches millions of users daily. This conversation is another one of those with a lot of depth and really thoughtful insights from our guest. It's very clear that she's an expert in what she does and in her field. And honestly, my only regret is that we don't share the video clips of this podcast across social media because she also has a dog named Pseudo who absolutely deserves a shout out and is too cute not to see. With that, though, I'm going to hand it over to the episode with Renan, and I hope that you check out Kultura as they are hiring a ton and doing some very exciting things. Hello, Renan. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Hey, Zoya. How are you today? I'm good. I'm so excited to talk to you. We have so many things to cover, your career trajectory, and of course, your role as EVP of Product at Cultura, where you have been for seven years, which is like 75,000 years in startup years. Uh, Cultura is a company that recently actually went public and powers video experiences through its video cloud. So already, I have about 1 million questions for you, but I'd love to just kick it off with a brief introduction about the company, and the suite of products, all of which you oversee. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as you mentioned, Kaltura is all about video experiences. And essentially what we do is we power video experiences for any organization. And when you think about it, you know, what is a video experience, right? It could be that you're uh, having a conversation like a video conference or a meeting with someone. It could be an interview where you're interviewing something. It could be any of those, but it could also be a live broadcast or a huge show or a virtual event or a conference. And it could also be asynchronously, right? So maybe you're watching TV, you're watching uh, something uh, that's going on there. Maybe you're watching a VOD, maybe you're watching a video message that someone sent you. So there's a lot of different ways. At the end of the day, video is a really strong communication tool. And what we're there to do is 
to make sure that you have video at your fingertips available for you to create those video experiences. Yeah, and there's so, so much to cover there. But I guess you were at Microsoft before this. So were you in the video space when you joined Cultura or what sort of work were you doing at Microsoft? Uh, nope, nope. Actually, I started and learned all about video when I joined Kaltura. Um At Microsoft, I was uh, also in the world of product. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was doing a lot of different things there. I was working on uh, consumer products. I was working on um, enterprise security products. Uh, mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. working on, uh, you know, things like SQL Server BI and a lot of fun stuff. Uh, <laughs> that sounds exciting, but uh, I was always in the product space. Um, and always thinking about building new products and building out those new experiences. My road has not been as as straightforward as yours, and I've done anything from digital advertising to marketing to blockchain. And the truth is, so many people ask me like, oh, you know, is this another stop on your journey? And I'm like, actually, product is a thing I see myself doing forever. And the reason is is really what you're talking about, which is like doing product at one company is not the same as doing it at another company or even within the same company. You know, especially at Cultura, there are so many different products that touch so many different audiences. I can imagine all of your product managers feel like they're working on on different things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, product is is a is a perspective, uh, but you have to think about it, and you can really, you know, you can narrow your perspective wherever you are, but you can always broaden it and think about it in different ways. And I think product really gives you that place. And also, I think it's what I love about it. Right, it's a way for you to. Uh, do something different every day, and it's all still part of your role. So you're always finding out new things, learning how to do new things, um, working with different people in the organization, and and still doing uh, your job, so to speak. I guess thinking through your journey at Cultura, so like, as I mentioned, you started there about seven years ago. And so what was the stage of the company when you joined it? And and what enticed you to join at that point, especially coming from such an established company as Microsoft? Yeah, so I'll mention also that in between Microsoft and uh, and Kaltura, I was also at MIT. So I did my MBA mm. there. So I kind of did a little pause. Um, I call it my my uh, short vacation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's what everybody with an MBA says. <laughs> um, where I kind of took two years to honestly to to learn a lot of things, to hone a lot of skills, to think about things differently, to I think to refall in love with product and what I was doing before, and and kind of think about where I want to be, and especially when you're coming from Microsoft, which is a big company, when I was looking for my next step, I definitely didn't want to have uh, the same thing. I wanted, was looking for a new experience and I was looking for mm-hmm. a company that's um, in a growth stage. Um, and that's exactly where Kaltura was. It was it has just acquired uh, TaVinci at the time and it was uh, right after that. So it was you know the mess of an M&A and also suddenly grew and it mm-hmm. was still very much startup-y. I think there's still a lot of startup-y-ishness in it today, even though IPO or not. <laughs> the, that right. spirit remains. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at the time it was at that perspective. And I think in, a, in general, you know, when I think about joining companies that are growing are, are just a huge opportunity uh, for for people like us, you know, to that are looking to learn and they're looking to kind of expand our horizons and do different things because it just helps expose you to a lot of different options within organizations. So I guess then two follow-up questions to that, which why not pre-seed early stage and why not coming out of an MBA like MIT with an incredible network, why not start your own thing at that point? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. But I think, you know, sometimes opportunities 
come to you and you find <laughs> that those are good opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, you know, I, I met people <laughs> that yeah. I really liked and I wanted to work with them. And I thought there was an interesting opportunity here. And I thought there was uh, a place for impact, uh, which is not something easy to do. And I uh, said, you know, hey, here's let's try this out. You know, you never know. I didn't I don't think I intended to stay seven years. Uh, <laughs> but that sort of happened. But I think it says a lot about, you know, where I am today, the fact that I was able to find all those growth opportunities each year over and over again, and and kind of reach that point. But I think, you know, it's not something that I ever, you know, you say, here's what I want to do, or here's the only thing I want to do. I think you keep your mind open, and you look for those opportunities, and you think about where, where you can do your best. Yeah, and I think to give some context to the question, I, I'm a really big believer, first of all, in entrepreneurship. And I also think that, you know, the impact that you make, obviously at a, at a huge corporation, there is like a ceiling to the impact that you can make. But in, in really in any company, you can be almost like a founder and, and have that sense of ownership. You mentioned people and and Kaltura is a woman-founded company by, you know, a very seasoned entrepreneur, Michal Tsor. So just curious, you know, what role did having her at the helm of the company play to you joining it? And how have you seen her leadership evolve, especially as, you know, as a woman too? So I think Michal had um, a huge part in, in me being in Kaltura and in my growth path in general. Uh, I don't know if it's because uh, she's a woman, but also because she's a very smart person. Um, and I learned a lot from her in general. And I think, you know, it's uh, it's always someone, she's one of the people, you know, when I talk about why I'm in Kaltura and why things are as they are, I think she's definitely one of those people that I include in that list, you know, for the people that are, you know, really pushing you to do your best and, and uh, challenging a lot of what you do. Um, and I think it's always important to be that sort of person for the people around you. We mentioned, of course, the fact that she is a woman. I personally have said it over and over again on this podcast. I'm in the camp of people who really thinks about like founder first, president first, rather than woman president, woman founder. But of course, it's important to call out. Curious about your stance on that um, as far as maybe the role that gender has or hasn't played in your life and, and what importance you give or don't give it? I think like um, a lot of other people, I try not to give it a role. Um, Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I'd like to, you know, in an ideal world, I think it's not a role and it's not something in our, in our profession, there's uh, no need for it to have a role. And what I try to do, you know, is I try to look at the person in front of me and their potential, you know, whether I'm hiring or whether I'm, I'm working with a colleague and, and to think about, you know, how can we do, is this the best person to enrich our team? Is this, you know, the person that fits our culture? Regardless of you know what what uh, what they wear or uh, how they were born or it doesn't really matter to me. But for me, I've always tried to be agnostic to it and to just do the best that I can and present my best self and provide that sort of view of the world. And um, I think we make the world a better place by you know acting like it's a better place. So. As you build out your products and work with these teams, how do you really ensure that the product that you create is going to be useful and used by as many different kinds of people too, meaning your end users will be really diverse? So how do you kind of bridge those two things? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, it's uh, like a lot of other things. It's about knowing and understanding your audience and understanding, you know, their their needs and understanding their um, their their problems and what they're trying to tackle and the challenges that they have in doing that. So it's really about understanding your end user and connecting with that end user and and seeing what they're trying to do. And, you know, 
kind of understanding their position in the organization, even, you know, understanding everything there is about them um, and, and how they approach um, the problem you're trying to solve and how they've been solving it so far and ongoing learning of that because the situation changes, right? So things change and you introduce new things and you identify new things and then you have to track it and you have to look at data and you have to see what they're doing with it and how they're doing it with it. I think, you know, one of the things I love most um, in product is uh, how much users surprise you. Like you you put out a feature, mm-hmm. you expect one thing and suddenly they do something completely different that you did not expect them to do with that feature. But I think that's you know, that's one of the moments where you're like, aha, that's, that's awesome. Like I've never, I've never even imagined that could be possible, but here it goes. So for me, I think, you know, just thinking and looking at that uh, diversity of use cases, thinking about the fact in advance that someone might do something that you don't expect um, and that it's in many cases, it's okay and good um, is something that has to drive a lot of what you're doing and a lot of the innovation, honestly, that's coming into the product. I think in many cases, innovation comes from your audience. You know, they build, these crazy things and and you find out that they've used did that using your product and you say oh great so let's let's help others also bring that in so i think that's uh you know it's another way to get ideas <laughs> in other words with that i feel like sometimes when you see that users are almost like hacking a way to use your product like piecing different aspects of it together. That's like such a huge aha moment. And I actually had um, somebody here from LinkedIn's senior leadership in product. And she talked about how before LinkedIn, she designed products for kids. And she said nothing was more humbling because you have a group of adults designing for kids and you think they're going to react a certain way. And then the kids walk in and like have no reaction to it. And it's so, so humbling because you've done the research, you've done everything. But she was saying that working with kids is like very, very humbling. So it reminds me a little bit of what you're saying. You know, thinking about the suite of products, you talked about the users and their different, you know, places in the organization or in the world or how they use it. You oversee a tremendous number and use cases of the product, right? Because video, as you talked about it, is such a huge space. So, you know, how do you go about how you're going to innovate and move this as one company together? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know what, this goes back a little bit to what you mentioned before about entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. um, because I think part of it is practicing your pitch. So I constantly tell the story and I tell a story and I tell a story. And each time you tell it, you tell it a little bit differently and you see how a person responds to it. And I think it's just like owning your elevator pitch in many ways. Each time Mm -hmm. you tell it to someone, you get some feedback and they, and you suddenly realize, oh, this piece of the story was missing. So I think a lot of it is, you know, there's a ton of input and I can go on and on, you know, about looking at the market and competitors and technology and looking at all that. And, but once you have that idea in your head, that kind of fireball, that you don't really know how to how to structure. Now you have to start building uh, a story around it. And in many ways, you know, storytelling and understanding that art um, has come a lot into play for me uh, in thinking about how do you how do you tell someone a vision so that they are excited with you, so they get you know that twinkle in their eye when you get that twinkle in your eye, right? So how do you mm-hmm. say something and tell someone about something you're excited with and get them excited with you? And I think you know by practicing and telling it to different people and telling it to, you know, to the most cheerful people and the most, you know, the people that will always be on, you know, positive about it and telling it to the people who are most cynical and will always in it, like from all of those, you learn something and you learn how to touch the points that they care about. Um, And eventually you're able to tell that story. And if you build it and you continue to do that, you're able to tell that 
joint story and connect everyone to that goal. And I think that's a huge part of what, you know, as, as you continue to move up in the, in the product world is how do you, how do you get more and more people to buy into your story um, mm-hmm. and understand it and think about it? And, and of course, talk about it to the audience and the users as well and communicate it onward into the product. And then considering the company itself, right? Oftentimes, I feel like entrepreneurs start with something quite niche, of course, like a large addressable market or a large audience. But typically, from what I've seen in the startup world, it's addressing this one very specific problem. I feel like Kultura is addressing many, many different problems for different people. So what is kind of the thinking about behind such diversification and such a large suite of products rather than, let's say, picking one aspect of the video world? Well, I think, well, I'll start with the fact that Kaltura has grown. So Kaltura has mm-hmm. been around for quite some time. So it started right. with an, you know, with one area and over time it's grown and grown and grown. But, you know, the way I think about it, I actually, I often condense it and, and talk about it in a different way. So when you think specifically about Kaltura, I think about video not as a, not as, you know, the problem I'm trying to solve, but I actually look at, I often talk about this, like the toolkit that every person at work has, right? So it's a video mm-hmm. is a way to communicate. So I talk about, you know, you have your handyman belt, and, mm-hmm. you know, every knowledge worker has their handyman belt sure. and, and, you know, maybe it's, a, it's, you know, it's slides and maybe it's uh, documents and mm-hmm. maybe it's uh, writing emails and you have your ways. And all I want to do is put video in that toolkit. Got it. And that's one problem. Um, and now that problem is a big problem, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, in order absolutely. to do that, I have to do a lot of things and I have to connect it to your workflows and do that. But at the end of the day, you can condense it to solving something very easy. I want to put video in your handyman belt and make you able to use video at any point in time. So for me, and and kind of comes back to that storytelling, right? You know, it took me a while to reach that sort of way of thinking Concise about it pitch. as well. <laughs> yeah. But I think in many ways, that's uh, it's a way to think about a problem and, and a way to put it so that it is one problem, but it also puts so much on you on understanding how else can you use it um, and how else can you how can you grow from that point. So I guess then diving into one very obvious and specific use of video, right? Today, we are all Zooming and even on this podcast, we're using video to better communicate even though the end medium is audio. Kultura has been in the video game for a while, as you mentioned, but I do think this space tends to be very monopolized. I literally just use the word Zoom as a verb. So I guess taking like Zoom and its traditional use, what sort of opportunities do you see to disrupt and where do you begin when there is such a firm grasp of Zoom in the market? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's, uh, we were thinking about it a lot when we went into this space to think about where is where is our edge? Where can Kaltura mm-hmm. provide an experience that's different? And and when we came into it, we came into something called meetings with purpose. Um, mm. Because I think many, many times you go into, um, we use Zoom as like a kind of like a, every, every conversation is a nail and Zoom is like a hammer. And no matter what conversation you're having, you'll start a <laughs> Zoom. But, um, but I actually think there's very unique conversations, right? So we're, we're recording podcasts now that others are going to be listening to, right? That's one sort of, um, that's one sort of conversation. But when you go into an interview, that's not the same as me calling someone from work, right? That's a very different experience. Right. Or if we're having a brainstorm session, um, and I'll give you an example. I've, I've given this example a few times, but I think it kind of gets it. So 
say we want to do a brainstorm session, right? And all of us go into a room and uh, we have the whiteboard and we're drawing things on it. And then we make, there's someone making notes and maybe someone was really good and prepared a few things. And we're also sending around links, right? To each other because, oh, here's right. an example. And someone prepared research and uploaded a PDF for us to look at. And um, maybe there was a deck shared as well. And we're in the room and we're talking and everything's kind of going on. And then we, you know, we got to the end of the day and we're like, oh, we want to keep this brainstorm going on. We didn't quite get finished. So we leave the room and I say, oh, you know, I forgot something in the room. And when I come back to the room, you know, you expect the room to be the same as it is, right? You expect to have the whiteboard, the mess, the chairs, the table. Sure. What happens with regular video conferencing is that it's gone. Right. It's like nothing happened. The session Mm -hmm. is gone, right? Like there's no memory of what happened. Mm -hmm. And I think it's such a... And you're like, wait, I want to continue where I left off, right? Like, where is my experience, right? Um, And I think that's a lot of, you know, when we think about meetings with purpose, when we think about this, we think about what are you really trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? So um, we're trying to look at these special use cases and we're providing solutions for them that are that are different and can create an actual video experience. Um, So that's kind of our take on that. Really so interesting. And I guess it makes me think about, Today, a lot of the times when we use video, we are literally, you know, sitting where we are and we just added a camera to it. And so we are neither replicating the experience that we are currently having or creating a brand new one, even though, of course, there's like behaviors like muting yourself or, you know, other things. Um, So I guess when you think about this landscape and innovating, are you trying to create a brand new experience or are you really starting kind of like what you described here with this exists this way, how can we improve it? I think it's, it's both, right? So I think you, you look at it and you're like, uh, and you think about, do I disrupt it completely? Or Mm -hmm. is there maybe changes that I can layer on on top and that will already completely change how we're doing things, Right. right? So I think it's a combination of both. And I think sometimes you start with the wild uh, with the wild, mm-hmm. like, let's completely disrupt and throw this sure. away and start over. And sometimes you end up going back to similar places. One of the things that I really love to do when I think about these things is is maybe loan from other fields, right? Like, look at a completely different field, how they do things, and maybe say, hey, maybe like in biology, you know, this is what happens, and this is how they share information, or and maybe we should look at it differently, and maybe, mm-hmm. you know, take from their best practices. So I think there's a lot of different ways to, to look at it. There's no And in some cases, I think maybe there's a small disruption that you might do that no one would ever think about. And in other cases, you just add something small to make it easier or add another layer or, you know, continue on top of that uh, for sure. And you personally come from really the world of technology. You mentioned you did your undergrad in computer science. You did your MBA at MIT. So I know technology is near and dear to your heart. But we've seen, you know, people really grasping onto buzzy, cool technology. I mean, you guys do have the word cloud in your website and in your proposition. (laughs) But I, I hear the use case of cloud. But generally, what are some technologies that you're really excited about? And, and, you know, whether that's now or in 10 years from now, in terms of opportunities to innovate? There's so much around it. It's hard to even know where to start. You know, I see the technologies going all the way from the every device being a smarter device and being able to interact with other devices. So IoT and, and everything that comes along with it all the way to 
um, you know, the way we're, we're programming different languages and building out new capabilities on top of that um, and the new and the new languages that are coming out today for that. So I actually think there's there's so much. I know it's it's kind of uh, I feel like uh, everyone's kind of waiting when you talk about video for someone to say VR and AR and do all, all those. And I think mm-hmm. that's definitely part of it. But I also think, you know, one of the things that we want to see is how these technologies become part of who we are and where we are. And then, you know, so when we think about AI, I think about how does AI help us do better and be better, not necessarily replace us completely. Um, sure, sure, yeah. Help us do do a lot of things or, or take away some of the stuff that, you know, we now do differently. So I like to be surprised by technology, honestly. <laughs> yeah, and no, we're, we're continuously surprised. Like if, if you told me that I would have spent the majority of the last two years in my bedroom, I, I wouldn't have believed you, but here we are. <laughs> Nothing to do with technology, but I just think the world is, is out to surprise us at all times. So actually, recently, I got a chance to interact with Cultura. I spoke to my colleague, Emma Challer, on Cultura Live, which was a huge event that you and the team hosted. Uh, And, you know, the topic we specifically discussed was measurement, right? And measurement in events and measurements in video. And specifically, we were talking about how in our industry and banking, measurement is such a complex topic because there's things that you need to know to protect protect your users. And then there's things that you don't want to know or are not allowed to know. With video, you know, when you think about Cultura and the products that you're developing, how are you approaching measurement? And do you think there is opportunity to really think about data and video in new ways that we haven't before? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, I'll start with the fact that video is such a rich, uh, it, you know, it's called rich media, but um, <laughs> it's, it's so rich with, with the amount of data that you can get from it, right? So what I love about video is that it's not just about watching it or opening a PDF, you actually have to engage, you have to listen to every second you skip, you know, when someone is when someone is doing something when they're interested, and when they're not interested, you really are they listening at double speed? Are they listening at 1.5? Like, how does that work? So you get such a wealth of data, and it's phenomenal. And of course, that data goes even further, you know, when we're having a conversation, are you really with me? or Are you on another tab? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, are you are you listening in? Or maybe you're actually looking and browsing something, you know, a handout that I give you at the same time. So there's, there's so, so many things that you can measure when you're using video. And I think we haven't even scratched the surface of everything we can do. Of course, we you know, we're starting to show and show more data um, within Kaltura and we're really expanding that and we're trying to, we're providing a lot of insights, you know, like when do people like to watch things? Uh, We have a podcast product. So, you know, when are people listening to their podcasts? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a good example, right? So all of this stuff comes in and and you want to make sure that you have data, not just on your users, but on your content, what's been working well, what's not been working well, who's the best presenter, right? Um, Like all of this stuff comes together. So there's a ton that you can do with data and and output it today. And, and honestly, I think there's going to be, you know, if you're thinking about how much more we can do, I think the it's endless, um, how much more and how much further we can take this um, and continue analyzing, um, everything's going on, but whether it's what we actually said and the correlation to what's happening, to uh, connecting between content pieces, to anything and, and above and beyond, right? So we were talking about virtual events. I think virtual events, they're like a treasure trove of data. Um, and I think, you know, marketers are, are realizing that and they're starting to do more and more with that. And, and we're kind of working with them to understand how we can help them and do more and more with that. So I absolutely think data is a, is a critical part 
in the application itself and providing that to your end users. And of course, to us as product managers, uh, I mentioned before, you know, how do you know that you're surprised? How do you know that people are using the feature or not? How do you, how do you know that something's catching on? How do you find out anything? You know, they, there's qualitative for sure, but the right. quantitative is amazing. Um, and it shows you, it, it exposes things you, you didn't necessarily know to ask. So I think that's, uh, definitely another piece of it that's that's been around for years of course but um always keeps improvement yeah and we haven't tapped into it so it's really exciting to to see that and think about it i guess before we leave and i ask you my famous innovation question uh i would love to talk about roadblocks so you know Listening to you speak, I see how incredibly analytical you are and how much of an empathetic leader you are. But I really want to know, how do you handle roadblocks? You know, you, you put in all the work and then suddenly you are left feeling stumped. What is your process? Take me through that. Um, deep breath, <laughs> for starters. Um, and then start to analyze it from different perspectives. So start to look at that same, uh, think of it like a cube. Um, and start to turn it around and try to think about how you would see it, how you see it. And you see a very specific facet of it. And then mm-hmm. how would someone else sees it and what they heard and then turn it around and think about someone else. And I often like to think about if I had to tell this story to someone completely different, uh, you know, if I had to, to tell this story to my dad, what would he say about mm. this? Uh, right. So how, if you took someone completely external that had no idea what you were talking about and tried to tell right. this, what would they say? And I think, when you look at a lot of the roadblocks from that perspective, and and you can bring in a ton of perspectives, a technical perspective, an operations perspective, there's a marketing perspective. So you can bring in people from the organization outside the organization, your customers, you can, you think about all those different perspectives you can bring in, and then it's no longer a cube, you've gone way beyond yeah, that. Yeah, it's like a um, multi-shaped <laughs> shifter. <laughs> <laughs> and then you you start to say, okay, so here's, um, here's the part I was missing, or here's where I want to do that. And now let's start to think about how to tackle Now let's start to think about how do I smooth this and make this into round shapes so that it becomes a ball and I can and we can roll together Mm -hmm, uh, and move mm -hmm. ahead. Right. Or how do I now face this specific situation and and kind of remove this roadblock or, or think about this in a different way? So and I think, you know, sometimes you have to go right through it and sometimes you have to go around it and sometimes you go above it. Um, and there's and sometimes you have to ignore it and <laughs> pretend right, it's not and just there. not happening. <laughs> um, there's a variety of ways. But most importantly, I think, is to, to do that analysis and, and try to look at it from an angle that's not yours. Yeah, I love that. And I think it, it brings it back to, you know, diversity of thought, diversity of perspective and and all of that good stuff. So I guess before I let you go, I'd love to ask you one last question. And that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now and 10 years from now? Ooh. Yeah. So I think, you know, when I look at it kind of short term, very short term, <laughs> mm-hmm. long term, I think, you know, I think video is is exploding in ways that it, it you know it's we've been talking about it exploding but it's really taken over and it's become it's become mission critical for us on an everyday basis for everything for for work and for talking to loved ones and for every single piece so um, I see a very bright future for how video is growing and how much we can do and do more with it um, and if I think about you know those video experiences I think we're going to get more and more sophisticated in the midterm and in the long term and how we ex- and what we expect from video experiences we want them to be more immersive and we want them to work more for us and we want to do way more than 
sit in our chair and just see the other person on camera and maybe not even looking directly at us because they're looking at the screen, right? Like at we're, themselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, you know, more and more, we're going to be seeing this evolve and turn into more personal capabilities that are much more rich um, and more empowering than they were before. And I'm hoping that it will in many ways, level the playing field and bring a lot more people. So whether, no matter where you are, whether in New York or in Idaho or, um, <laughs> you know, somewhere in, in Europe or anywhere in the world, you'll be able to, to level the playing field and be part of that same market. And, um, you know, accessibility wise, you'll be able to join no matter where you are. You don't have to think about uh, stairs or you don't have to think about anything like that. And there's, it just opens up opportunities and that is my hope for us in general. And I'm hoping that that's where technology and where we're moving forward and, and video specifically is going to take us more opportunities. And what about you? Um, <laughs> I hope I wish the same for myself. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me today. It's been so much fun getting to hear all about your trajectory and the bright future of video. Thanks so much, Zara. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.